Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Front Row. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Thanks for spending part of your Wednesday or whichever day you happen to be listening to this show, if you do so via podcast. One word, podcast. You said it before I did, dang it. I know. I beat you to the punch again. How are you, KJ? Doing well. Doing well. We have a uh, good show coming up, as always. Big weekend for the baseball team. Huge. Huge weekend, and uh, nobody's feeling great about things right now in light of uh, current circumstances there. We'll get into that uh, with Tim Linnefelt, our Seminoles.com insider. Uh, John Sansone is going to join us in our next segment, four-year starter for Florida State. And uh, it's hard to believe that you know, doing the math on this, I guess, his freshman year was my last year on the radio calling those games. So here we are, fast forward. He's moved over to third base, had a very nice senior year. But he's not going to remember the individual stuff uh, if, if things don't turn around here on the team side, and hopefully they do. Trending downward, but opportunity, opportunity. Yeah, opportunity, but uh, <clears throat> sometimes that light at the end of a tunnel is a train, and Miami is pretty highly ranked and thought of as uh, as, as they come in here this week. So we'll we'll talk to John. We'll talk with uh, Tim about that. Uh, we'll also discuss the fallout from the ACC meetings, which was not very much, save for the the tweak to the replay. I did see, and we'll save that for another segment. I I did see just kind of spanning the uh, country in terms of college football folks. A little bit more written out there, and there there appears to be a little more optimism that there actually will be an ACC channel now from national media who've been and even local media who've been pretty skeptical. Not that Swafford tipped his hand anymore, but it does seem like we're starting to see little things here and there that would indicate it's coming. The biggest part of this, and we've talked about this, uh, and and we'll talk about it some more, is the delivery mechanism. And I think we're all talking ourselves into and beginning to at least conceptualize that the way that the ACC network will launch is not with a cable in the wall. It'll be something over the air. And how that actually gets implemented becomes the the crux of solving the problem. I think it's a fascinating position that ESPN sits in. So how where I think it's going to go, as I think most do, is that it's going to show up on the Watch ESPN app. Correct. But the thing is, if you bundle it, We've talked about this some before. I think they've looked at it, and they, thirty-five bucks may be the price point. Not that they've said that they've sort of that would get you all the ESPN. So if that included the ACC network, then they cut a deal, and everybody who buys this, you know, two bucks goes to the ACC. However, they do the math on it. If they sold it on its own, it would be a risky proposition, I would think, for the ACC. Correct. It'll have to be bundled with something. I, I would think. Otherwise, a dollar at a time, you're not going to get the penetration you need to, to re- recoup the dollars. But why I say it's an interesting proposition. Nothing to do with the ACC. What it really has to do with, to me, is ESPN has to make – they are the ones – you know, we talk about cord cutting and how ESPN has been losing viewers. Well, everybody's been losing viewers. I mean, everybody that cuts ESPN and goes to another route, guess what? Every every other network on there is losing revenue too, whether it's Fox Sports 1 or somebody else. ESPN could single-handedly uh, create the onslaught of cord cutting if they offered their product just via Watch ESPN app – or via Apple. I mean, if they came out and said, guess what, folks? September 1st, you can get ESPN for 35 bucks." I can guarantee you that me, I don't know about you because I don't know about you and Kathy's TV watching habits, Tom Lang would be on board. There would be an awful lot of people who would say goodbye to their $200 cable bills and would buy the ESPN package, supplement it with Netflix or Hulu, and would call it a day. And I'll take it one step further. And ESPN would drive that whole thing. I mean, I, I'll, I'll take it one step further. $35 is not your price point. Your price point may be somewhere around $50, 55 or $60 if 
you got all of ESPN's family well, that's networks. What, that's what they have to figure out what the number is. And my point is, at, at $50 a month, that's $600 a year. Uh, we don't have the time to get into it, but there's a fascinating article in, out that uh, leaps ahead to 2026 when the first round of all of the television conference contracts are up again. And it postulates what happens if you just took the top 32 or 40 teams in the country, put them all in one conference where every Saturday there'd be Alabama versus Florida State or Miami versus USC or Michigan versus Ohio State. And they just postulated that if the people that just watched the Rose Bowl last year, which had its lowest rankings TV-wise in the last 10 years, and charge them $250 a year, not 600 a year, but $250 a year for the college football season so that on any given Saturday you could watch five or six games that would all be the top 32 or 40 teams in the country. The payout to those 32 to 40 teams would be in excess of $100 million each at the 250 annual mark. So you take $50 a month and make that a $600 annual mark that's going exclusively to this thing, you can imagine what the numbers look like. If ESPN really wanted to make it dicey, they could just offer internet service with the Watch ESPN app, and then we'd all be done with whoever our provider is pretty much. I mean, that would just solve everything. Well, think about this. But, 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 think about this. All the money that's been invested in, in hardwiring, okay, there's still the body of thought out there that thinks that all of this is ultimately going to be delivered over the air through satellite, and that even though we've got fiber optics, that the satellite communication component of it, the quality of it, is getting to the point where if they had enough capacity, right. they could do well, everything we because Sirius XM is going to start streaming video. Did you know that? I did not. They're going to start I'm streaming video. I'm assuming they're not going to do that over the car radio <laughs> unless you're in the back seat. You have to be in the back seat. There's laws, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But Florida just passed a statute, and Governor Scott just signed it. It's effective July 1, that if you have a car that has the self-driving mechanism, you can watch video while you're sitting in the driver's seat. Think about that. My wife's car has the self-driving mechanism. It's called me. <laughs> she sits over there. Yeah, and I, but you're not qualified. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hey, uh, this segment, uh, portion of the program brought your way by Madison Social. Uh, big shout out to them. I've seen on uh, Twitter, they're already making plans for the big tailgate. They're going to throw it around the Ole Miss game as if you need more motivation. When are we going to have mountain climbing on that daggum uh, uh, parking garage that's going up? Yeah, well, we can do that soon. Have you seen that thing? I think, do they call it mountain climbing or just rock climbing? Is that you want to rappel up and down? What do you want to do there? Uh, jump off with a parachute? No, that's not happening. If you want to do that, I'll get Matt Thompson on the phone right now, and we will have a promotion, and that will be the grand opening of that parking garage at College Town. All right. Uh, tip of the cap to Madison Social. Thanks to them, as always. John Sansone, Seminole Third Baseman, will join us uh, when we come back right here on the front row. Welcome back to the front row. A big weekend on tap. Florida State baseball hosting Miami. And bizarre to think of this series being the final series of the regular season uh, 
college baseball season for years and years they used to meet six times a year and it was generally in april and it would be over two straight weekends and uh, as we welcome our next next guest to the show uh that that predates you uh, as we say hello to john sansone but how are you john I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing? Good. I'm sure you've heard uh, the Colonel Chip Baker probably share some more stories, but uh, I don't know. When, I guess when Miami entered the ACC is when they stopped doing that. But these teams used to play six games every year, and the you know it'd be three in Tallahassee and three in Miami. So it basically was six games consecutively. Has has the Colonel uh, enlightened you in that regard? Oh yeah, he uh, he tells me almost every story he's got. So uh, he's uh, he's great with that stuff. Yeah, well, you're going to be here about a six more years then, John, because he's got that many more. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you, you know, uh, you you are not from uh, Florida State, Miami territory, so to speak. Uh, so I'm assuming you didn't grow up with great familiarity with the rivalry that is FSU Miami growing up in Pennsylvania. So having played and competed in this series for the last few years, just explain, uh, you know, the nature of the competition. Uh, yeah, you, you learn the, uh, rivalry real quick. Uh, uh, the first time we played them, uh, it was just kind of, uh, eye opening almost how, how quick the, the coaches turned to get ready for Miami week. And, uh, it's, it's something that's really special and, uh, it's, it's something that I'm so happy to be a part of. And, uh, it's, um, something that I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Be a great crowd out here this weekend. I'm sure as, as the Canes come to town, you know, baseball is, uh, congratulations by the way, on the individual success. I know baseball is a team deal, but you've, you've had a great senior season. Um, to what do you attribute that? Is that just, uh, being the, the wily old veteran or are there, specific changes you made in your stance or your swing or confidence uh all of the above um yeah a little bit all of the above but uh mostly you know it's, it's confidence i always knew i could do this and um i always knew i was a, a good ball player and uh, it just comes down to confidence at the end of the day and uh, baseball is all mental and uh this this summer really helped me a lot uh get my mental right and i uh, just kind of carried it over into the fall and then carried it over into the spring though John KJ here. Uh, all season long, you guys have gotten your backups against the wall, and we've all sometimes either figuratively or literally thrown up our hands and go, "What in the world's going on with this squad?" And then you rebound. Yeah. Well, what is it about this this group that that when you do get backed into the corner, uh, you guys yeah. find a way to, to to fight your way back out of it? Um, you know, we're scrappy. I mean, the the uh, one through nine in the in the order is going to scrap you to to get a hit or get on base somehow. And um, our pitchers are scrappy. They're uh, they're working every day trying to throw uh, the pitches that they want to throw and, and uh, get their get the hitter out by throwing their pitch. And uh, we come to work every single day. We really don't go in it every day and say, "Oh, today's just a practice day." We we go in every day trying to get better. And uh, no matter what the circumstances are in the game, uh, we always feel like we can come back and win. Well, and given, you know, the way the last week or two have unfolded, I mean, you talk about baseball being so mental and how confidence is key. You know, how yeah. shaken is the is the collective confidence right now, and, and how do you get in the right mental frame of mind with Miami coming to town starting tomorrow? Um, you know, losing four straight wasn't wasn't very helpful, but uh, that last game that we won there at Duke, uh, kind of a little bit of momentum shift. I could see the kind of like the swag, you know, if you want to say that, uh, when we left the field, uh, the camaraderie in the locker room was a lot better. And I feel like things are just going to turn around from there. And it's, like I said, the momentum shift, uh, getting back on the winning side, and uh, it was huge to go into this series. You know, media and fans spend a lot of time on conjecture on, you know, are you going to be a top eight seed? Are you going to be a regional host? That sort of thing. Do you guys even 
pay attention to that, or do you just go out and say we need to beat Miami because that's who we're playing today? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. We 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 hold our own destiny, and that's what Eleven keeps preaching to us. And uh, I mean, we really you really can't look at other teams and say oh they're winning or they're losing. You just got to really worry about yourself. But uh, I mean, I was talking about it with my dad the other day, and he said it's so true. You got you just got to be hot at the right time. It doesn't matter where you're playing. Um, if you're not hot, you're, it doesn't matter if you're home or away. You're not going to win. But uh, just as long as you you get hot at the right time, that's all that matters. John, the uh, educated FSU baseball fan will be aware of this statistic, uh, but uh, you you are closing in on a career best at Florida State in hit by pitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you train for that, my friend? Um, you know, that's just something that comes from within. Just you see the pitch in and just kind of roll with it. But uh, we do. We actually have uh, little spongy, squishy balls, whatever you want to call it, down in the cages, and uh, we work on rolling with it and just kind of uh, making sure you don't get hurt and just leaving your knee out there or something like that. Just making sure you're rolling with it and letting it hit the back of your leg or something like that. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that's been kind of crazy because I never really got hit that many times in high school and then come to college and it being almost every weekend. Well, you, you need to step up your game, brother. You've been 17 games without bitten punked, so uh, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Of course, they don't use the they don't use the squishy balls uh, in, in the in the no, game. No, no, yeah, definitely so, not. Definitely so uh, I don't recall, uh, and I don't have the raw number in front of me. What is it like, 58 times or something like that? You've been plunked over your career. Is it Tio that, really, that holds the I record? I really don't even know. Tommy, do you know? I think it's Carl Jernigan that holds. Is it Jernigan? I think. I don't. I don't have the, the game notes in front of me. I know Jose Zabala was on that list in the yeah, top five. I think Zabala holds it now because I he came by when we had alumni weekend. He was talking about it. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Zabala's one up on you because as Chip probably told you, yeah. he once knocked himself out running into an outfield wall at Hauser, and that's why there's now <laughs> pads out there at the, at Mike Martin Field. Uh, uh, um, you, just to finish up this thought, so I, I don't recall all of your collective hit by pitches. But I'm sure more than one or two of them probably stung and hurt a little bit. Uh, was there a worst oh, yeah. one? And then the, the second part of that is, is it your goal to never show the opposition or the opposing pitcher that that actually hurt pretty bad? Oh, for sure, yeah. You never. I, I grew up never uh, showing the opponent that I'm hurt or uh, not feeling well. But um, I can remember one time I got hit in the, like, kind of the lat, and I just ran the first, and the very next at bat, I got hit in the same exact spot. And I just I couldn't even... I couldn't help but grimace a little bit. So that was that one was tough. Well, uh, you're tougher than both of us, and Keith's a former safety here at FSU. <laughs> I'd be bailing like a sixth grader. <laughs> I, I feel like I've heard the story, but I don't recall offhand. So, uh, you know, as you look around the locker room, I mean, Florida State is probably 75, 80% Floridians, a few kids from yep. Georgia every year. Every now and then there's an outlier like Jack Rye was from California, California or yep. Rory O'Connor was from Chicago. I don't recall many folks that were from Pennsylvania. So what was the connection that first got you from PA and outside of Pittsburgh to, to FSU? Yeah, um, my cousin actually came to grad school here. And when I was in like ninth grade or something, and they were I, I guess the baseball team was playing the Tigers in like a spring training game or something like that. And he called my dad because him, like, he loves baseball. And my dad obviously loves baseball. And he said that they were playing them and thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, next year, my dad uh, tells me that I'm going to go to a camp down here uh, just to learn baseball. You know, I wasn't really expecting anything. And then uh, 
Coach Martin asked me to come back next the next the following summer, and I came back, and then offered me a preferred walk on spot. So that was pretty awesome. Well, I'd say you ended up starting four years, and uh, the first three That's at second true. base, and. You know, as you move to third base, you know, I guess that's probably a more natural fit for you going forward as you try to play professionally. Uh, just sort of talk about the, the differences in the in nuance from second base to third base and how that transition has gone for you. And, and I'm asking, you know, to look deeper than what the fielding percentage is or when you've had some miscues. Yeah. Just talk about how that, that process has worked for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm still working every day to get better over there. Uh, it's a huge change uh, going from second to third. Short to short to third isn't as big of a change, but second to third is a whole different world. Um, just the way the ball bounces, choppers, slow rollers, just everything like that. Uh, I'm really working on attacking the ball more right now, and in warm ups and stuff and practice. But um, I feel like I was sitting back a little bit too much earlier in the season. I feel like I'm attacking a little bit more now, so it's been helping. By the way, our producer, Tom Lang, just uh, – and I'll give him credit. I mean, I could have just pretended that I found this, but uh, Carl Jernigan <laughs> with 61 all-time uh, getting plunked, and you're second with wow. 59, and then Zabala's third. That's, and then my guy, oh, wow. Orvitz, only had 40, so I'm way out, out of uh, – well, That's because <laughs> Orvitz's dad was a trainer, and he told him at some point to stop getting hit by a pitch, right? <laughs> yes, sir. So I, I, my days of traveling with the baseball team, uh, John, ended a few years ago, but so I missed yeah. out on the trip to Pittsburgh – uh, yes, and the trip to the family restaurant, which I guess is Sony's. So yeah, if I'm yeah. in next time I'm in the area, if I go to Sony's uh, and I'm with Keith, what do we order? What's the specialty? Oh, uh, man. Uh, Coach Bell talks about it still every single day since we went there. It's called Italian flatbread. It's uh, it's like a, a stuffed crust um, sandwich type thing, but it's with pizza dough. So it's uh, just with all Italian meats and the lettuce, cheese, tomatoes, stuff like that. And uh, it's a hot sandwich with um, cold topping, so it's it's pretty unique and it it is really tasty. It's definitely their best seller too. I'm gaining weight thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sounds good. All right, well, I want to give you a chance to give a plug there. Well, listen, it's uh, it's been fun to watch your career unfold, and uh, hopefully, there's a lot more left to it. Uh, you know, whatever it is you guys need to do to turn things around. Uh, hopefully, Sunday got you definitely. started and pointed in the right direction. And best of luck this For weekend sure. and as you close out your career. Thank you. I appreciate it. All righty, that is uh, Seminole third baseman John Sansone. Sony, as he's known, who's had a great uh, senior year and a little uh, peek at uh, some insight on, on how he ended up at FSU in that restaurant. I've heard a lot about the restaurant, but uh, now I'm going to have to get that next time we go. And, you know, remember the journey to get here, you know, a preferred walk-on to, uh, to, a, to a, a starter uh, a, a, and, a, and a leading candidate to be considered maybe, maybe one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable player on the team, quite a, a, a journey for Sansone uh, as he got to Tallahassee. Keith, you and I once spent a, a glorious Thanksgiving weekend together in Pittsburgh with the basketball team. We were at the Blue Line had, Cafe, though, I believe. Yeah, had we known about Sony's, we probably would have made a trip there. That was that, uh, that was a trip we caught the train into the uh, to the mall, didn't we? Didn't we make that we trip? We did. That was also the trip uh, the Chargers were in town playing the Steelers. I don't even think I knew they were staying at our hotel. But I'm on the elevator, and the door opens, and Doug Flutie gets on the elevator. It was Sunday morning. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, so, of course, I mean, Doug Doug Flutie's probably used to being recognized. So we had the uh, 12-floor conversation to which he basically said, these East Coast games are rough. I live on the West Coast, you know, whatever. It was 9 in the morning East Coast time, so 6 in the morning, and he wasn't young at that point. 
And that's all I got on Doug Flutie. Well, uh, there you go. There you go. All right. We'll, we'll get back to whatever we're trying to do here and accomplish on the front <laughs> row right after this. Welcome you back to the front row. Tom and Keith with you. And time now to be joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, how are you? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Good. I, I just had this thought cross my mind that in some respects, you're, we treat you like a Seminoles.com outsider because we never invite you to the studio, but you are truly our insider. Maybe when we get to the new location, the new fancy digs. We don't have a mic for him. Well, then oh, we you and care. I could take a break. I mean, we'll work it out. I'll volunteer. All right. There you go. We'll set it up. I'll have your people talk to my people, and then we can... Talk to Tim's people, and we'll, we'll work that out. Bunch of people. All right, Tim. So, you know, when Florida State was struggling in Durham this weekend, I thought of Bull Durham, ironically, and I thought of the need for a rain Really? Out. What a stretch. I, I thought of the need for a rain out, perhaps on Sunday even, given the state of affairs. But Yeah, and then they got one yesterday. Go well, figure. that was my point. They didn't need it yesterday. They, they sort of needed it to stop, but they did stop the bleeding, I guess, or they at least put a Band-Aid on it on Sunday. But... Um, the obvious is that uh, nothing appears to be aligning the way you would want it to as the postseason. There are the heck even, with the postseason as any, Miami's coming to town. There's no stars in the sky, much less any alignment of the stars. So tell me some sliver of good news or reason for optimism as we get set to face Miami for three games. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> they won their last game. That's good. Uh, no, man, it's, it's look, it's tough. Um you don't want to lose that series at Duke. You don't want to have the type of week that they had last week. And if you do have all those things, you certainly don't want to be welcoming Miami uh, to town this weekend, who has been one of the best teams in college baseball all season. Look, all I can say is it's college baseball. It's a weird sport. Uh, more than once, uh, not only this season, but in recent years, but also during this season, we thought that this team was about to fall off the cliff only to have them surprise us. So, you know, is it possible for them to go out and, and have a big crowd on Thursday night, Friday night, and, and know that it's Miami and know that it's a big rivalry and, and to, to, to deep, dig deep down and, and play inspired, uh, especially the starting pitchers, for them to have good, solid outings against that team? Sure. Like I said, it's college baseball. It, it's not very predictable a lot of the time. Uh, but if you just look at, you know, up and down the lineups and up and down, uh, look at the matchups on paper, it, it does make you a little bit nervous. Well, statistically, the only good thing going for Florida State right now is that Miami's 32-6 and six at home. And they're not at home. <laughs> well, <laughs> that does help. Well, and the, yeah, and the animals help and the home crowd and all that. Really, I think, you know, I can ask you about how many does Florida State need to win, uh, you know, barring running the table here and in the ACC tournament, and even that may not be enough to be a national seed. Really, I think the bigger question is, uh, are they still going to be a regional host? So I'll stop there, and then I'll pose my next question. I think so. Uh, I think, you know, you have to be looking at something like, I think if you were to drop all three to Miami and then – drop off in the ACC tournament or go one and two in the ACC tournament, then you could sweat it out. But I think if, if you win a game against Miami and God forbid you win two games against Miami and then go out and have a decent showing at ACC's next week, I think you're, you're pretty solid with the, with your regional hosting there. Of course, that could also be a weird situation like we had, I guess, about six years ago where Florida State ended up being a, a number one seed and getting shipped on the road. Uh, you never know what the the NCAA baseball tournament committee is going to do. But uh, I, again, I, I'm not saying that they're completely safe, but I wouldn't start, worrying too much about that just yet 
Yeah, well, going to the Northeast wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because all the good college baseball teams are in the – well, and for that matter, I mean, when you look at the RPI, they're all in the SEC and the ACC. So going anywhere outside of that footprint probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Really, though, what I, what I was going to get to, the bigger question, though, Tim, is that when I think back to the 90s, and it was a different system because we were, you know, in the six-team regionals instead of the four-team and then the super regionals for the most part until I guess those started in 99 – it was, it was a foregone conclusion that Florida State would go to Omaha or at least be in the conversation in serious contention to get to Omaha every year. And now I think if you polled fans in terms of this year's team, I don't think many would be very surprised to see Florida State go two and out in a regional whether they host it or play on the road. And so I don't know if we have time to dissect how they got here or how they fixed it. So I'm just posing the question, and uh, I think that's the source of angst maybe is what I'm ident- identifying. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think that's fair. If they were to not be successful in the regional and go 0 and 2, like you said, or just to not advance out of it, that would be the second time in three years that that, that had happened. Uh, and, and then I think you'd have to look at, at what's coming in the future. What, what, how is the program trending? And, and for a lot of folks, you know, you look at at the roster, look at you know what you're losing from your senior class, and, and look at the upcoming recruiting class, and say, I don't, I don't know, you know, what's on the horizon. Is there is there hope for the future? And I do think that there is some hope for the future for Florida State, especially you know, in the form of a guy like Cal Raleigh, who looks like he's going to be an outstanding player. Taylor Walls and Dillard Busby both kind of coming to their own. Uh, they have to get better in the starting pitching. Uh, and, and again, I know, I know we don't know if we mean to go too big picture with this, but if we're already starting to look ahead to, to what's coming, uh, I think that's where your biggest question marks. The, the pitching staff right now, outside of a few relievers, uh, has struggled a lot this season, and that's going to have to get better uh, for Florida State to be able to, to it's become more more relevant with those you know top top uh, national teams of the Floridas, the South Carolinas, the other Vanderbilt, that kind of thing. Because right now it's just it's just not there. You hate to say it that way, and, and you know there's still time left in the season. Maybe they can get it together, but right now it just doesn't seem to be happening. Well, and that was my my script, uh, Tim. I mean, all you got to do is look at Florida and Miami, and then although a little bit of a down year this year for Virginia, look at their their club last year and a couple of years prior. Florida State's obvious number one problem, the number one thing that needs to be addressed is starting pitching. They have got to find some people that throw the ball faster and can throw the ball for more innings each time out, period, the end. Absolutely. And, you know, you you, you, were, you had high hopes for guys like Cole Sands and Tyler Holton, and maybe they'll turn into that. But And, and it, the problem is only exacerbated when you look down to, like you said, in Gainesville and see guys like Puck and Shore and all those guys throwing – complete games against top 10 teams. Uh, it kind of reminds me, look, I, I I hate to compare FSU football to FSU baseball and then the situations there because they're they're not really comparable in my mind. But all, all I would say is that it at least makes your issues, it magnifies your issues when you look down to Gainesville and see them building a juggernaut. Well, that's always the case in any sport if Florida's doing well at the time. You know, it's uh, it's sort of forgotten as Miami rolls into town that a, that a couple of years ago they were ready to run Jim Morris out down there yeah. because you know, he's won a couple of titles there, had tremendous success, but sort of had flatlined Miami's uh, for several years in the ACC. Maybe not several, but from, I don't know, what, 09 or 10 to 13 or so, and now they've picked it back up again and they've won the Coastal again. So it does go in cycles, but it, it clearly Florida State seems to be trending the wrong way right now, and so it begs the inevitable question of, you know, when is the end for 11 and Mike Martin? And I'm sure that'll be addressed after the season in terms of how much longer he's going to go. I know he just got a contract last year, and I know from his standpoint, he would love Mike Martin Jr. to be the next coach here. So it's going to make for some uncomfortable conversations over the next several months uh, or years or year maybe to figure this out. 
And you've got to think that all of this at least will have implications on that, not only on his future, but the future, like you said, for, for Mike Martin Jr. beyond. You know, how Florida State think performs this year and next year and, and maybe the year after that. Uh, that's going to play, uh, I think, a big, uh, a big, big, big part in, in how the, the program moves forward. You know, whenever, uh, it just, whenever Mike Martin decides to move on and, and, and whatever he may do, you know, he's he's acknowledged you know a, a while back that he knows that that he's nearing the end of his career. Uh, so it's not like it's taboo to talk about that. Uh, but I think there's just so much up in the air right now that it, it's fascinating, but but also you know kind of makes you uh, again a little nervous if you're a Florida State. Just it just seems like there's so much unknown. Well, along that lines, though, Tim, for clarification purposes, I've talked to a number of people that felt like that when when Martin was offered that two-year contract last year, he's in year one of a two-year contract, right. there would not be a renewal. There would not be another contract. So is the question whether 11 comes back for 17 or comes back or, or retires after 17 mm-hmm. might be a, a more narrow-minded question. Sure. Well, I think there's there's no doubt. I don't think he'll, that he'll be back for for seventeen. And then you know you get to that point. I, it's, it's easy to say a year and a half out that oh the contract won't be extended or or he'll walk away. But but once it comes time to actually get to that point, it gets a little more difficult. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that conversation at that point won't be Mike Martin Senior lobbying for more years. It would be Mike Martin Senior saying, "I'm happy to go by the wayside, but let's make but, Mike Martin Junior the next coach." And so that's where it gets uncomfortable and. Uh, I know uh, Jeff and Corey and Ira got into this, and we don't have time to do justice to this right now in this brief segment, but uh, it's certainly not fair. It's not apples to apples to look at the Bobby and Jeff situation. But I'd be the first place everybody goes. It is, yeah, but if you you do any diligence at all, it's a completely different situation there. Uh, And I think a lot of baseball people know how solid meat has been as an assistant coach. So anyway, we can't solve that. I'm just, I mean... uh, you know, like we do every week, we just identify and point it out. But this is what's going to come up over the next several months. And having said that, I'll I'll, I'll shift. I'll, I'll end the baseball talk on this note. I, I recall the, uh, I guess it was the O2 Knowles who won 25 straight to close out the regular season in the ACC tournament, and then promptly uh, and the regionals, and then lost game one to Notre Dame in the super regionals and didn't advance out of Dick Hauser. So my point is, that's a team that had everything going for it. There's no way you would have said that team is not going to make it to Omaha, and it didn't. So now we have the opposite side of the coin right now. There's no way anything's good is going to happen with this bunch. And who knows what happens if they get a bleeder, they get a walk-off win somehow against the Miami, they start thing, believing the again, and they win a couple games. about these next three games is you're playing your arch rival. If you're going to get the good out of your ball club this is going to be the three games you're going to get the good out of it right right exactly right all right so softball's hosting uh regionals they're a national seed a chance to host uh super regionals tim it's you know for so long they were so good under joanne graff they 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 dipped a little bit as other programs stepped up their game and i know going back to the point about florida florida's at the top of the softball world right now but but lonnie alameda's team has really been pretty solid i mean they've owned the acc for about four years running now Oh, they, they've just been exceptional, like you said, owning the ACC. And really, if, if, if Florida is a tier unto itself, then Florida State is in that second tier. You know, uh, and, and you see that rewarded with a, with a national seed. Uh, again, uh, a chance, you know, I think if you look at their path, uh, this is a team that expects to be uh, in Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. In fact, I talked to one of the, the staffers of the softball team earlier this week. We were just sort of shooting the breeze, and he was sort of saying how, how different it was to compare, you know, Two years ago, when FSU won it, the first of its three straight ACC titles, it was like a just a huge celebration. This weight had been lifted that they had, you know, got to the top of the mountain after and having to, to rebuild the program a little bit. So this year, it's, it's kind of not as big of a deal. I mean, they were happy to win it, but they uh, they have much bigger goals at hand, much bigger 
uh, bigger plans for the next few weeks. And like I said, you know, given given everything that they've accomplished, given the fact that uh, you know the the one game in Tallahassee notwithstanding, they, they went toe to toe with Florida uh, in Gainesville earlier this year. Uh, you know, they expect to be among the eight teams in the in the women's college world series, and it's kind of hard to argue with them. To paraphrase uh, uh, Lonnie, who was paraphrasing Jimbo, uh, it's just part of the process. Yeah, that's what that's what she told us last week. It's 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 bleeding all over campus now that uh, the the Jimbo isms. The uh, ACC outdoor track and field meet this past weekend. I know you were out there for a while, Tim. The uh, uh, just for I know a lot of folks don't follow track, but uh, I happened to call the the meet this weekend. And one of the highlights it didn't happen while we were on the air, but Stefan Britz, who oh by the way is a tremendous student that teaches chemistry and is getting his PhD in chemistry, and his very first leap in the long jump, and he had won the long jump as a freshman. Last year, uh, Jalen Ramsey won it. His very first leap was the top jump in the country by a collegiate athlete this year. Olympic, qual- he basically made the South African Olympic team with one jump. Said hello, yeah. Rio. I mean, I mean that's that's a pretty nice highlight for the weekend. I mean, I don't know for sure he's made the team. I think he's ironically South Africa has the top two long jumpers in the world. I think, but they take three, so I think he's in good shape. <laughs> it's like a calculus equation figuring out Olympic qualifications, but uh, but from what I understand, he, he needed he needed whatever mark that he got uh, at ACC. To, to qualify for the Olympics. Now, whether or not South Africa will take him, uh, I don't know. But but it's a he, he's an Olympic-caliber athlete, I think, is, is the point. Yeah, no question. So, and then, uh, of course, the women's team won the title, which was well, a pretty big nice margin. What's that? Which was a nice, pleasant surprise. I, yeah, I think it was. We're, we're, we're getting into the weeds on track, but basically when you, when you line up the heat sheets, the track coaches will pull them out, and there's sort of projections on what every team's yeah. going to score. Well, I think the margin was also very surprising too, wasn't well, it? Well, that was what I was going to say. So FSU, if you look at where they were ranked according to their seed times, FSU hit the seed times or better in every event, which never happens. Usually somebody DQs or somebody gets lower, but pretty much across the board, they, they had a nice win. Um, ACC meetings we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, now that they are in the rearview mirror and you've had time to digest what came out of that, anything stick out to you, Tim? Well, I haven't uh, seen Jimbo Fisher this week to see if he still has his beard. Uh, but aside from that... <laughs> Way you know, to go with priorities there, Tim. <laughs> Yeah, seeing some adjustments made to the replay system, I, you know, I think it's probably good. I don't know that it's anything that's going to be super, super significant, but anything they can do to, to avoid the egg on the face that, that happened like with the, the Miami and Duke game and, and maybe speed up that process a little bit I think is a good thing. But but overall, it seems you know, fairly quiet as far as I could tell. Yeah, it was a whole lot of uh, we're working on this, we're working on that, and when there's something to tell you, we'll tell you. Which is right. which is exactly which is. I did find it interesting that the SEC announced this week that they're going to do replay the same way as the ACC. Look at the Atlantic Coast Conference setting trends there on the college football landscape, huh? Yes, sir. All right. Anything else you'd like to add before the, uh, for the good I, of the order? I mean, uh, good. keep an eye on the uh, women's golf team in the NCAA championship starting on Friday. It's their first time in that event since 2010, so it's been a while. Should point out that the men are going to advance to the Nationals, too, at least we think as we record this. So they're, they're in good shape. They're, they're in pretty good shape. Hey, Tim, thanks for being the expert on all thing Noel, things uh, Knowles. Uh, Seminoles.com, your source for everything that's Florida State sports. Hey, that sounds nice. I like that. Yeah, we're going to work on that. We're going, to, we're going to try to make it sound a little more natural after the show. We'll get in the booth and record some more. Okay, Keith? Cool. Yes, Appreciate sir. it, fellas. Thank you, Tim. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider slash outsider until we actually invite him to the studio. I haven't picked your brain yet about this uh, whole replay mechanism, so don't spill the beans now. Uh, 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 uh. We'll take a TV timeout while we uh, get into the booth and we figure out how long it's going to take to ascertain Where's what actually happened on that play. We'll come back with more on the front row right after this. No dark sarcasm. 
to the front row tom and keith with you and we mentioned as we finished up with tim that we would discuss the new plan for acc in terms of replay which is collaborative instant replay and i'm just going to be honest keith when i first heard about this i pictured more people in a huddle as one individual flipped a coin (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's sort of the vision i had because okay to be serious to get more folks watching it good thing but to say you're going to have more folks watching it and you're going to do it in a quicker time, that's usually not the way that goes. So I'll, But you are a replay aficionado, so I'll let you weigh in. Well, I, I was fortunate enough that I was actually doing the ACC package when replay came in. So the first year that I did um, games, uh, there were actual, we had actual meetings with the replay official and, and got to know some of them, went in, looked at the equipment, saw how everything was set up. Uh, a couple years after that, and this, this isn't – talked about much but all the video component of what the ACC is going to do in 2017 has already been going on and has already been tested the the central uh, command. Uh, command in Greensboro has been operational for two years now this will be the third year all the video goes into that command and has for the last two years so you've had people in Greensboro that were watching what the game officials were watching but just didn't have communication with the on-site personnel they're going to add that communication part so while the technical person there's two people in the replay booth there's the guy that is watching and making the decision and another guy who he gives commands to back that up run that forward go to the other one so there's two people only one of which has authority to make a decision there will now be a second person in greensboro that will be in communication with that authoritative person looking at the same thing in real time, at the same time, giving advice and counsel. I haven't heard yet, do they have to be unanimous in their agreement? What happens if they disagree? Does the on-site official overrule? Haven't gotten into all those details yet. But instead of one person making the decision, there'll now be at least two people having input into the decision. And it's not new technology. They're only adding the communication piece. The video piece has been in existence for at least two years now. And I was being sarcastic at the start there. The fact that they're willing to evolve is a good sign. Very much. And I think once the kinks are worked out, this will be a good thing. But I do think there'll be some kinks. I mean, I think we'll see a delay where maybe it's early in the season where it's taken a little longer than it should have if everybody's kind of going, you know, a borderline call that's not clear cut. Although, in theory, if it's not clear-cut, you can't overturn it. But it just seems like there's going to be a few longer-than-anticipated delays. Here's my take on it. We've all been watching the game while this has been going on, an ACC game while this has been going on. And the two commentators, traditionally two folks in the booth, have been talking back and forth. And all of a sudden, the play-by-play guy will point something out to the analyst or the analyst will point something out to the play-by-play guy. And all of a sudden, what was not viewable was not in, in, in they weren't in agreement all of a sudden when that one little thing gets pointed out the other one goes yeah you're right and then they both agree that that's what it should be 
that's the process I envision happening with the with the individual in Greensboro and the individual on site. You've got two sets of eyes now with authority, and as soon as one of them picks up something that maybe the other one didn't see and wouldn't see because it's only one person looking, you're going to get a higher quality decision. Uh, to your point about the time involved, yeah, that could be a concern, and certainly they'll be cautious in the early going and, and may want to go back and look at a couple of things, uh, you know, uh, some things a couple more times, and, and that is a concern. But uh, well, you could, I think eventually those kinks, as you, as you alluded to, will get worked out. You wouldn't want to go this route, I don't think, but, I mean, you could put a time limit on it. You could. I mean, none of them do that, but you could say, look, this is what we got, and if we haven't figured it out, then the call on the field stands. Right. I mean, and that would just that that would eliminate if if it got to be a a, a problem. One, I, one thing, I think this will end up if you're making the decision by yourself. Okay, so I'm making the decision, and I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I've got to make the decision, and I make it. Am I going to be quicker to make that decision than if KJ and Tommy are looking at it together and talking and talking and about it? Consensus. And Tommy, you point out, well, wait a minute, that knee was down right there. Back that up. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. Both of us agree. Okay, overruled. I think there's the possibility you may actually make the decision quicker because two people in agreement, but we'll see. Do we know anything about the mechanics in Greensboro? I've been in that command center at the ACC's office. It's uh, it's literally like a very cool man cave, you know what I mean? I mean, we'd all like to have that many screens in front of us. Uh, so I know they're going to be able to accommodate eight games on a Saturday. Well, what if you got three games going on and suddenly there's three? Now, the, the chances of this happening – They've already, they've already done the statistics, uh, in my understanding. The, the, the probability of having two oh, I know the, or three the probability is low, but it, so what, what happens, you'll have two at one point. No, but what happens is every game has an observer. And then when it goes into a replay, the observer will then grab whoever the second voting person is. So they're going to spend a lot of time with you know twiddling their thumbs and then something's going to go up, and they're going to look at it for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or 90 seconds. So even if there's two of them going on simultaneously, unless they start at the exact same time, one's going to finish. He can divert his attention over to another. Yeah, it, it could happen. The chances are just not Well, great. see, I, you know, again, going back to where I started, it would be much more intriguing to me if there were two at the same time, and they say, well, that's the Wake Forest-Georgia Tech game. We need you over here at FSU Clemson right now. We'll get back to that one. As as would be in keeping with how you think. Exactly. So you think it's a good thing overall. Very much. I very much. Too. And the SEC followed suit. Isn't uh, that amazing? I, I, I wondered. Well, the ACC and SEC tend to be on, aligned on uh, some things. I mean, they stayed aligned with the play in the eight conference games, even though they did talk about potentially creating an ACC-SEC challenge in football. Uh, or at least some, some, some scheduling accommodations so that you wouldn't be having to get, you know, Charleston Southern – or whoever, uh, to fill the gap. So we'll see how that uh, rolls out this season. It is, it is a good thing that they're, that they're going this route, and, uh, you know, the SEC is going to do it too. And well, the bottom line I, I do, here's, the point, here's the point I was going to – you go ahead with the bottom line. Bottom line of all this, you want to get it right. And, and, and Tim alluded to it, the Duke-Miami game was wrong. That, that was a loss that Duke should not have suffered. The Miami player's knee was down. Another set of eyes hopefully would have caught that. So you want to get it right. That's the bottom line. Well, and you want to get it right before something like that happens again. What I was going to point out, and I think people know this, but it doesn't get brought up a lot. The technology is there, but the 
amount of cameras provided for television broadcasts varies greatly. So your FSU-Clemson game might have 20 cameras at it. Your Georgia Tech-Wake Forest game that I just made fun of may be six or seven cameras, which impacts how many angles and replay reviews you have, which is, uh, in other words, as as compared to at the NFL level where every NFL game is pretty much – going to have at least a baseline same amount of cameras and then sunday night and monday night are going to and the super bowl are going to have four trillion well let me take it one step further with the new way that uh, the espen contract is up the the georgia tech wake forest game may be broadcast does georgia tech even play wake forest we keep throwing that out there i don't even know if they play other than like every 18 years the game production may be being done by georgia tech for georgia tech home games or wake forest for wake forest home games it may not be a crew that was contracted and well, comes in. So you may still have six or seven cameras, but the person operating the camera might be a junior in school, and when the ball is up in the air, goes up and doesn't come down enough to see where the feet are, you may lose two or three angles because of camera operator error. I understand what you're saying. You also have the possibility of – bias in that scenario you just described possibly i always find it entertaining because i do pay attention to this when i when i travel with fsu uh, you know if there's a controversial call the, the the video board is run by the home school obviously and if they have a good replay that's in they favor of the home team they, they show, show that thing right away if well, you don't see a replay come they're gonna off, advertise something else they're gonna advertise <laughs> something else and you can be rest assured that uh yeah that probably went against the home team there so we're not going to show that we don't need the the ump the ref seeing anything else that he might not be able to see in, in terms of that replay review. It is. There's also several schools, and I don't know what the ACC rule is on it now. It used to be that I think you could only show a replay once. I think they've they've loosened that. Whatever it is, there's a lot of schools that take liberty, and we're going over whatever the ACC regulation well, was. I know this. That, that may be a rule in football, but that rule hadn't hit big in basketball because there are a lot of replays that go on in basketball that the home crowd just gets absolutely irate over. Yeah, well, and that's part of the – they don't want the officials to get uh, just completely – uh, abused by the fans, so that's part of the reason why there was a limit. I don't know if there still is on that. We need the bottom line is we need to get with Michael Strickland at the ACC and uh, have him come on the show and walk us through some of this uh, potentially. You know, I know another thing. Uh, well, maybe we'll do it next segment. I'm not sure. We do it this segment, next segment. Look at Tom. Tom is hooking me up here. We're we're six feet apart, and he's sending me text messages. I'm just throwing it out here because so. you won't pay attention to him through the window. Georgia Tech next plays Wake Forest in 2017 and then again in 2024. So Nothing gets past Lang. So Nothing gets past Lang. I should Lang. have picked like the Georgia Tech-Virginia game or teams that were in the same division instead of that. This is what happens with bloated expansion. Um, <sighs> what I was going to say, uh, I don't know that you and I have talked about this a lot. Jimbo's sort of beating the, the drum again. Uh, Michael, Thinking of Michael Strickland's name, who handles the scheduling, made me think of this. Uh, for keeping set games on certain weekends as they do in the sec i mean you could look up right now the year 2186 and know that florida and georgia are going to be playing in jacksonville the last weekend in october you know what i mean and and so you know that forever and that alabama and lsu are going to be the first saturday in november but meanwhile in the acc every we have to wait until february when the schedule comes out or late january and go oh look at that fsu and clemson are playing in september this year oh they're in november I like the idea of going to a uh, a set time. I mean, Florida is always going to be the last game of the season. 
Uh, you know, I think Miami, I think we all would agree Miami needs to be played between the sixth and the eighth week of the season. So let's pick a time and do that. I think the way things have worked, uh, it's in the ACC's best interest for interdivision rivals to play earlier as opposed to later. So I'd rather play Clemson in week three or four or five and get that set and know when it is. Jimbo's point is once you have that set, then you know how to manage your program a little bit better. Uh, you, you, you know when to work hard a week and when to take a week off and when to be a little less than a week because you've got something coming up. It, it provides some stability. And, I think and, and the, I, I'm very much in favor I of that. I think the greatest favor it does is it lets fans know when the games are going to be. Well, like Jimbo's I'm, point was I'm getting, I'm, I can schedule my vacation time and I can I start can schedule, saving my money because I know the Clemson game is always the second week. For those of you who plan weddings on year. fall Saturdays yeah. and I have to decline, you can actually make an educated a decision you get invited wedding i'm actually at the age now where it's like a third wedding for people if i'm invited and and, and they don't have weddings anymore they just elo pay right those mexican weddings are very popular exactly we'll come back wrap things up and i will tell you the dirty little secret uh or it's at least a good theory on this why the family program why the acc doesn't have set weekends for its games when we continue on the front row All right, we're back to wrap up the uh, front row. What I was going to say there. Dirty little secret, you say. Here's the reality of it. The SEC is such a profile and brand in football that they can set the date that their teams are going to play and ESPN is going to be there. If they said they wanted to play on Wednesdays in July at 2 in the afternoon, Alabama and LSU, obviously they couldn't do that because the NCAA doesn't let you play a game then, but you get my point. ESPN would be there and televise it. The ACC goes last in the pecking order because ESPN wants to then look at the schedule and go, well, the third weekend in September is pretty light. We don't have any marquee games. There's nothing there. You know what? FSU Clemson, and we'll roll college game day into Tallahassee. And that is why the ACC schedule comes out at January or February after the other conferences for the most part. Most notably, the SEC and the Big Ten, the ones who have the big money TV contracts. Well, let's get the ACC playing in the uh, college football playoff a little bit more. Let's get an ACC team winning another national championship or two. And then uh, I would submit that won't be such a dirty little secret. That's the only way you change it, is you have to be relevant. And Clemson rising to prominence has helped. And to your point, as we wrap up about playing those interdivisional games early on, I think this is a year where... Florida State Clemson playing later in the season is not necessarily a bad thing. If ever there was a year where the ACC, crazy talk, was going to get two teams into the playoff, I'm not saying go bet the farm on it. It would be a year like this where both Clemson and FSU are in the top five. All right. I'm getting the break, really break, shut up. We're done out of time. Keith, I'll see you next week. New studio next week. Big party as we come back for the front row. We'll talk to you Can I get a new chair? Maybe. Yeah, man.